Right, welcome, welcome again to another WTF Interviews uh, episode. My name is Royce Brialis with my uh, prestigious co-host, Dr. Raheem Young. What's up, what's up? How you doing, man? All right, how you doing? Good, man, good. We also have our co-host, or our, uh, our uh, guest, I'm sorry, uh, Marcus. Yep. How you doing, brother? Go ahead and introduce yourself to the people. Hello, everybody. Marcus Perry. Uh, been a follower of WTF. Uh, also participant in a, a lot of their sessions. Uh, so just happy to be here. Yeah, thank Good you for time. thank you for joining us, man. No problem. So, uh, like, tell us about your family. How many kids you have? Uh, what's their ages? Uh, so I have a family of four. Uh, ages, my oldest. She'll be 11 in August, then the next she'll be nine in May, the third will be eight in October, and then the youngest will be six in June. So they're young and active, yep, <laughs> and get, in, get involved with, with each other heavily. <laughs> All right, cool. So what type of, um, you said they're active, what type of things are, are they into these days? So they're they're in sports. So they primarily play soccer. So they uh, we got them in a travel team. So um, really, three three to four days out the week, I'll be driving them to to practice, um, and they all play for the same travel team. So we're all going to one spot, and uh, they stay active in that. And then they also are learning the piano. Um, we homeschool them, so they're here at home with us as well too. Um, you know, not part of any remote training, but we actually homeschool them. So we get to do and say what we please and teach them what we want in our curriculum. Um, so we have them pretty much filled up with activities throughout the, the entire day. And they're, and they're gamers as well, too. So they're all pretty good at, at Fortnite and, and uh, Roblox and all that, and even, even better than me now. And I, I grew up with video games. So, yeah. <laughs> so what, uh, what made you all want to uh, homeschool your kids? Um, I think it had to do a lot with the fact that when we first had them, we were, me and my wife both worked, um, and the kids all came up through daycare and we would always have an issue with thinking that, you know, the daycare was really the ones that were kind of raising them through their early formative, uh, formidable years. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we started looking at the fact that like some of the things that they picked up on, that's not us. That's the daycare, you know, those things that they got. So they might not have our mannerisms because they haven't been around us, at, you know, all hours of the day and, you know, things that they'll pick up at school, you know, they'll, they're at school daycare. And then we pick them up and we're with them for like six hours after we get home from work. So, you know, being able to kind of make up for that, um, especially with our youngest, because he was in daycare since he, you know, was born. So he was there really until he was about four, four and a half. So we really got to get him and kind of mold him more with, you know, what goes on in our household and how we are and everything like that, more so than his other three siblings. Um, okay. But we wanted to be able to be included in their lives a lot more than what we were, because, you know, we started thinking about, things that were important to us, which was spending a lot of time with our family. 
from a young age because then once they start growing up, then that's when they're going to start having their own lives and venturing out into what they're going to do. And you can't really get that back because, you know, as a parent, you want to spend a lot of time with your kids, you know, after they're adults, but then they have their own families and they have their own lives and what they do. So you might not be able to get to spend as much time as you want now um, yeah. even as adults. So homeschooling, we felt like, you know, they're not away in school. We're the ones here uh, with them and we're the ones teaching them. And especially dealing with the curriculum that's taught in the schools, we don't necessarily agree with it. You know, we... Well, what, what's wrong with it? Right, you know, because obviously they leave out or they, they misteach, you know, history for how it actually happened. Um, you know, they, they, they give a, you know, paint a different picture of the way that things were. And, you know, we aren't for that because, you know, when you grow up, you'll start to see how, you know, life is and how society really is. And we don't want them to go through and think that now they have to come to terms with figuring out, well, does this person really not like me because of my skin color or is it the fact that you know just because i'm i may not make as much as them or my parents may not make as much as them is it just because of money or is it because of race and you know have them figure out well it can't be because of race because i'm next to them you know and i grew up and were friends with them but you know they don't learn the actuality of reality you know in school because they'll learn about slavery but they won't learn entirely what that meant They'll understand that, you know, that Africans were brought from Africa to work here for free and they were owned by other people, but they don't tell them the levels of that. They don't show them everything that went into that, you know, from them transferring on the slave ships in Africa, Mm -hmm. the conditions that they were in coming over here, like understanding the full level of that, that point in time. And what we went through, you know, their what their ethnicity, what their their background went through yeah. in this country, and know what it actually meant for slavery to be, to know that full picture, to understand that. We want to be able to have them understand that and know that, so they can really be prepared for what they're going to go through in society. Because you know, having gone through, you know, growing up in the suburbs out here. And that's what I that's what I was gonna ask you. Have you experienced like any racism or anything like that growing up uh where you grew yeah, up? Of course, but you know, having <laughs> Okay <laughs> having, having my family be from, you know, Chicago and you know the suburbs as well too, where I got family on the west side and family out here and having basically two sets of friends, you know, because I got my friends in Chicago and then I got my friends that I grew up with in school out here and being able to know and see the differences. You know, I I was fortunate to have that. But my kids don't necessarily have that. My family's still out there. They don't have a set of friends, like a, a big set of friends like I did out there to be able to see the differences in, you know, in culture and how we act and how we interact and everything like that out here versus there. And them, all they know is what they're growing up with out here and in this school system, which I grew up in as well too. And for them to feel that, you know, oh, this person is my friend or this is my best friend and everything like that. And for me as a parent growing up in this area and in the school system, to see them going through it already and to be able to educate them on that right away, saying that, hey, 
you're saying that this person's your friend, you know, because, you know, you guys talk in school and yeah. you might play a recess. I'm like, but that's because you play the same sport as they do. It's recess. It's someone who plays the same sport. So you share something that you can do to pass the time. I'm like, but I'm like, what's really going to show you whether or not you're really their friend is how often you go over to their house or you get invited over to their house to, you know, play with them. And I say, you know, to my oldest son, he didn't really understand that and comprehend it where he says, oh, all these people are our friends. I'm just like, they're your acquaintances. They're not really your friends. Your friends are the ones who want to come over to your house. The friends are the ones who want to invite you over to their house. I'm like, because what, what you don't see is what we see is that when we're dealing with their parents, you don't understand that. You don't understand how people can be where they're saying that they're your friends and they're nice to you, but they don't, they're really nice to you just because they have to be in that moment. They're not really <laughs> your friends because then your actions speak louder than your words. So if we were really your friends or they were really your friends, they would invite you more to their house and they would have you over to play for playdates like you hear some of your friends say, oh, I'm going over to such and such's house after school. They're going to take the bus together and we're going to go have a play date. And then I bring that up to him. I'm just like, so this is your example. So you could go on the bus with him to his house and have a play date immediately right after school, but they're not having you do that. Like, so you have to think about why that is. You have to look at the actions of these people, if they're really down for you or, or they're not. So what, what do you mean these people? Yeah, I mean exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> no, I'm just messing with you, man. <laughs> right. These people who aren't down for you, who really aren't down for you. So it doesn't it doesn't necessarily have to be a specific color. It's really just about people in general. But you know, it growing up out here, you know, there's there's a likelihood that you know there's some people that might not associate with you because of your skin color and who you are and what they perceive you to be. And that's what I have the ability to educate them on with homeschooling is I get to teach them everything about the real world as opposed to what school is and building them up thinking that it's this one big kumbaya and everything is, is, you know, happy in the way it's supposed to be. And, you know, having him be, having them be surrounded with all these, you know, kind of these social media warriors, liberal warriors and everything like that, but aren't really, aren't really down for, for, you know, the real change and everything like that. It's good. It's, it's, it's in vogue to, to be, you know, pro-liberal and everything like that. But are you really for that? Like when you go into the city, are you suspect and really looking around when you're parked, you know, on like down there on Roosevelt near UIC circle or something like that. And you're looking around looking for people to come out and, carjack you and stuff like that that's not what it's about like because then you have that that notion in your mind that there's these these people that you're out here promoting and you're trying to call for equal treatment for that you're not even giving them equal treatment and you know when you're in areas where there's a lot of them there so it's just like you know you're gonna have people that you run into where they act like that but are they really for your cause and that's where you need to to be aware of how to navigate you know amongst people who are really with you and really for you. So homeschooling allows us to be able to teach them how it really is. But yeah, the racism thing, that's, that's been, it's, it's easy. And it's not even cliche. And it's not, you know, someone trying to just say, just because I'm black out here in the suburbs. Yeah, I've been through racism when you really haven't. 
No, it happens. And you you see, you have it shown to you almost every other day. So like, what was like the most extreme thing, uh, extreme case of racism, racism you've experienced? Okay, so well, I guess the most extreme, Okay, I can give you one one case in elementary school. So elementary school is this uh, is this for you or your kids? Okay, so I'll give you I'll give you both. Okay, both for me and my kids. So for me, third grade elementary school, same school district that my kids go to. So there was a kid uh, in the line, and he thought it was funny to joke around with calling me, you know, n word with a hard R, with the hard R. Oh, say say a nigger. Right, right, with the hard R. <laughs> You know, and he's laughing about it, you know, around his friends or whatever. I'm just like, you shouldn't say that or whatever. So then he keeps saying it and joking around. So I ended up punching him. So now the school mom, the lunch mom that's in charge of the lines, she gets both of us or whatever. So he's upset and he's like, he hit me in the eye. You know, he hit me, you know. <laughs> now he's the victim. He hit me in the eye. So then we both go down to the principal's office. And the principal is an older, older, you know, white guy, um, probably in his like late 50s, early 60s. So, you know, as an adult, now you know that, you know, he might receive this well, or he might be like, okay, well, I can't, I know how this is going to go, so I'm just going to, you know, yeah. help help this black kid out or whatever. But I told him exactly what happened, and he, you know, got on the kid or whatever, and then he ended up saying, he's like, but we need to make sure, you know, that we don't, we can't hit people. So he let me go, because he knew that out here in, you know, this area, that if he were to mistreat that and mishandle that, it would become a bigger thing out in this you know, area. He wouldn't want all that attention and stuff. Now, for my kids, my son, um, his, when it, I think he was actually in third grade as well too. So this is two years ago. So his classmates who he thought he was good friends with. Um, so he ended up saying out to my son, he's like, he's like, oh, it's funny because you're a nigger. And then, you know, my son was just like, you know, he's like, you should Wait, say that. He said, what? You always funny because you're a nigga? I don't, I don't know what the whole conversation was, but okay. uh, my son relayed. He's like, he's like, oh, it's funny. It's something along the lines. Of, oh, it's funny because, you know, you're a nigger or something like that or whatever. Mm. He's like, nigger, nigger, nigger. And like said it a couple more times. So then my son, I'd already told him about the word. I'm like, if anybody calls you that, you need to tell the teacher and tell them right away. And you need to make sure that that kid gets in trouble or whatever. Then you tell me that that was said. So yeah. he ends up telling me and, um, you know, I end up calling back up to the school. So they didn't even call me. The principal who I was already, you know, in, in uh, up in arms with because we had it out since my son started kindergarten there. So I called her. I'm just like, yeah. So Javen told me that one of his classmates called him the N-word. And she's like, oh yeah, we talked to him about it and everything. I'm like, so what is going to be done about this to make sure that this doesn't happen in the future? Because also at his school, I experienced from his classmates when I was doing a lunch duty there as a, a dad on duty there at their school, one of the programs that they have, yeah. one of the kids ended up saying to me, he's like, get out of here. We don't want your kind around here. I'm an adult. I heard it. I'm letting it go where I'm just like, all right, I know what it is. And I know, th I know exactly the people that are here and the classmates who your parents are and stuff like that. So makes sense or whatever. So he says it again. So he says, get out of here. We don't want your kind around here. And, and then uh, one of the and other- This was a kid saying that? This was a kid saying it at the lunch table. So then one of the other parents 
who happens to be the father of the kid who called my son the N-word, he heard it. So he's just like, what are you talking about? We don't like those dark people around here. So then he, he, he said, his reaction was, wow, I can't, I can't believe he's saying stuff like that. So that's his reaction. I'm just like, yeah, well, what are you going to do? Because I'm just like, people teach that and it's, it's influence around here and it's just going to keep going. So he ended up reporting that to the principal. But he, of course, he didn't know what to say, you know, about that because he was appalled. He was shocked by it or whatever. And I'm just like, yeah, what do you expect? You know, I'll teach him that. And that's how it is. So for me, it's just like, I expect that from, from people like that or whatever. So I tell the principal, I'm like, yeah, so uh, my son had said that, you know, someone called him the N-word. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, we talked to him about it. So what are you going to do to make sure this doesn't happen? Because it seems like this is the issue that keeps coming up because, the 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 father in the lunchroom told me that he told you about the incident that happened that involved me so it seems like there's an issue with understanding race and ethnicities here at the school that it needs to be hammered into the the kids more so she ended up saying oh we're gonna have book readings and everything like that so of course you know it comes down to energy and with me I know that what effort that they were going to do, it wasn't going to be enough and they're not really going to keep it going. So it's just like, do I want to fight it and keep going for it? It's going to take more of my energy to do it. And it's just like, given that I know what I'm getting out of this area and out of this district and everything like that, it's not a fight I'm willing to waste my energy on right now because knowing that I wanted to homeschool my kids anyway, it's just that I'd rather just remove them from this nonsense, teach them the way that I want them to be taught, and just have them be, you know, however it is that they're going to be, but have my kids be prepared to combat that, you know, without fear and, you know, with, and with a level mind and with intelligence as an, as a teenager, as an adult. So when they experience this stuff, you know, again, cause it, it's going to happen, um, you know, then they'll be ready for it. And, and one more that I wanted to add. So the extreme case for me, uh, as as a little bit it's older, enough, it's a, another extreme. Yeah, there's more. <laughs> you know, the, the really extreme one. So as uh, middle school, it was me and my friends. It was an Asian Asian kid and uh, a mixed kid. So we're going. We got dropped off at the mall out here in Lombard. So we're going into the doors, and we're behind this older couple. He's probably like in his fifties or so. He seemed to be maybe. Uh, like crippled in some way or whatever, he like kind of walk with the limp or whatever. Mm-hmm. But they went into the door, so there's like four different doors in the entrance to entrance to Yorktown Mall of where we were going. So they went through like the center. We went off to the one that's right adjacent to it. So they still had another door that they could go through on their own that you know nobody was bothering them or anything. We had our own separate door as well too. So they were going in. And they were making it to the second door. We were on the right side and we were coming in through the first door. So my friend, my other two friends, they opened the door. So one of the friends closed it on my other friend. So then my, the friend who got the door closed on him was just like, thanks jerk for not opening the door. So then the guy in front of us thought we were talking to him. Mm. He turns around and he starts cursing at us. Like he's like, 
what the fuck are you talking about? You little riffraff. He's like, you're sitting around, you say all this bullshit. And he's like, you act up and you do all this stuff and blah, 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 whatever. And then we were just like, we weren't even talking to you. Like, it was just our friend because he opened the door and he closed it on us and everything. But he didn't want to hear what we were saying. So he he said something else. It's, it's one of those situations where you just remember the trigger points. So for me, he said some other shit in between there. But then he ended up saying... He's like, he's like, and you, you little nigger. And I was just like, and my friends were just like, whoa, because they didn't know how to take it or whatever. And I'm just like, sir, that was, you know, I didn't know how to take it. <laughs> Calling me that, oh my. You're appalled, I'm, like, right. I'm like, sir, that was uncalled for and unnecessary. So I'm talking to him like, you know, sir, you know, because I'm, I didn't, that was what I had to say. Like that was unnecessary and uncalled for. But then, you know, as an adult, if I would hear that, you know, it'd probably go a little bit different now because I got a whole you know, repertoire of reactions to come up about with, with with something like that. But that was one of those like extreme shocks as a kid where it's just like an adult is coming at you in that way. And you just don't know what to do, you know, cause you're 12, 13 and it's a full grown man, you know, coming in you in that fashion and yeah. you just don't know how to take it. So, but again, out here in this area, but that's, that's kind of what you deal with. It can happen anywhere, but there may be a, a more higher prevalence of it out here, you know, where we live. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So let, let's uh, switch gears a little bit. <laughs> like earlier we was talking about basketball, right? And right. Um, we was talking about like above the rim, white man can't jump. Right. Uh, he got game, different things like that. And you said you don't consider white men can't jump and, he got game basketball movies. They're more, um, I guess, life movies. Uh, movies about uh, life. Yeah, he got yeah, he got game, especially yeah, more about life and stuff. Uh, white men can't jump. That was just for entertainment. There's basketball in it, and I think there was a lot of basketball played, but I think it was more of the the, the relationship between those two, and then his issues with his girlfriend and all that. But he got game definitely about life. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So I know I know that you grew up playing basketball. So what has basketball taught you about life? Uh, well, I would say because I I run the point, like I maybe that speaks to who I am. And you know I've played shooting guard before as well too. But I like being in charge. I like being able to to see how things are going to develop and kind of figure out what's going to happen next and what's going to be the next move for everything that's happening. So I think that just basketball, as far as the positioning goes, I think that speaks to me and what I am now. So I didn't ever see myself following somebody and working for somebody for 30 plus years in the same job, especially, you know, and only to be told that I can be fired or let go or, you know, they determine my pay and everything like that. So it only made sense for me to own my own business, which is what, you know, I'm doing now. And as far as like, other things that are part of basketball as far as working with a team, that's that's a pretty obvious one, is being able to collaborate with others, take others' input, um, you know, listen to, you know, what they're actually saying, and also being able to pick up on, you know, the unspoken things, like the body language, the chemistry, things like that. That's yeah. in real life as well, too, being able to take social, social cues and things like that. So, um, you know, and the competitive part, that may be just for me, especially just because I'm just super competitive anyway. So I hate losing at things. And, you know, it, 
it, it helps in life because then, you know, my objective is you set a goal and then you want to, you want to obtain that goal. So then in basketball, you want to be able to win every game. So every game that you start off playing, you don't go into it saying, like, ah, this team is bigger. You know, they got a seven foot dude on there. You know, you go on with the mindset of what am I going to do to be able to score more points than him? Even though he's tall, how am I going to get around him, get to the basket? What am I going to have to do in my game to adjust to be able to score more points to win? I'm not looking at it as if, like, I'm a, I might lose. It's just like, no, what do I have to do to adjust myself to be able to keep going further and, and get the W and win? So that's just how life is as well, too. I like that. I like that. So um, you brought up your business. What kind of business do you have? And like, how did you get uh, get involved in it? So I own a hospice agency. So that's in healthcare. So I got involved because my wife's cousin is a, she's a nurse and she actually wanted to bring the idea to my wife's family about opening up a family business uh, because she's actually owned her own hospice for about nine years now and uh she wanted to bring it to the family to open up a family hospice but i was the one that actually wanted to own my own business and everybody else liked the idea of it but then they either didn't have the stomach for it for the risk the amount of risk that it takes or you know the amount of effort that it takes to go through all the licensing and things like that so you know when all was said and done it ended up being you know me and my wife that were left you know with with her cousin in this project, um, which is fine because that's kind of how I wanted it anyway with, because, you know, the less people that you have involved, the less that you have to go through with, you know, the whole bureaucratic process and everything like that. Yeah. And you can make decisions, you know, on your own and, and be able to run it how you want to run it. Um, but, you know, that's how we got involved. And it just made sense at the current time because, you know, my mother had gone through hospice when she, uh, she passed away. So the hospice is actually named after her. It's in her memory, so Pearl Hospice. So it just made sense at the time that everything was coming full circle um, for us to just open up the hospice itself, you know, because my father had passed away when we were, right when we were about to, you know, start with this this whole thing. So it just made sense. Hmm. So um, how long have you uh, been in business? So we've been in business since 2017, so November 2017, and we started actually bringing money in last year, so February of last year. So from November 2017 until February of 2020, it was all money going out. So it was a long time coming, you know, because it's, it's expensive to go through licensing, to pay for licenses, to pay for the infrastructure with you know, your, your software that you need to, to, you know, run your charting and everything like that, to have, you know, liability insurance, all these things here that had to be upheld from the moment that we were going through licensing. So just because we didn't have any patients on and making any money doesn't mean that money wasn't still going out. So um, started in 2017, but actually started to start making some money coming back in um, in uh, February of 2020, so and continuing on strong now. So how did did, um, did like COVID affect your business in any way? No, not really. I mean, the only thing that COVID affected with us is that we had to implement uh, more protocols with dealing with COVID. 
Um, okay. So it's basically more safety tips. So, you know, with the mask and the personal protective equipment and all that, and just screening for COVID, keeping our employees safe and the patients safe. If they test positive, what are the actions for that? Like we actually have to implement that into our policies and procedures for our company as something that, you know, the state will come and look at and monitor whenever they do an audit on us to make sure that we had something in place, protocols that were implemented and added for this specific thing. And, you know, we had to add information into our uh, patient information binders that we give out to our patients, um, you know, because normally it includes stuff like if there's an influenza break outbreak or um, an Ebola outbreak or a natural disaster, like stuff like that, what to do in those cases. We had to add something for COVID now because there's information on what you need to do in, in case of COVID now. So all of that has to be implemented into your, your current, you know, operations. So, but as far as like patients go, no, it doesn't impact it at all. I mean, I guess it, it, it could potentially because then if people are, are sick and they're going to the hospital and they're having hospital stays and uh, let's say that they're declining in the hospital. The hospitals don't want to keep patients in the hospitals. They don't want to keep them there for long term. That's actually negative for them because it's you know messing with their bottom line. So they want to get them out. Yeah. So they're declining in the hospitals. Some of the hospitals would recommend them to hospice, but a lot of these hospitals already have their own hospice, you know, care counterparts within their their healthcare facility and their group. So they, they keep it in-house. So it goes from hospital to end-of-life care all in one swoop, and then they get to kind of retain, you know, that patient all to themselves. So if that was a patient that could have possibly been discharged home, and then let's say maybe they started to decline after they got home, then they could seek an independent hospice agency where that could be a potential client. I guess we could have missed out on, you know, patients that way, but overall, it's just you know, it's all about referrals to begin with anyway. So if you're, if you got a referral pipeline, you're going to continue to get those referrals, you know, anyway. Okay. Okay, cool. All right. So, um, Royce, did you have any questions for Marcus? Yeah, I, I have one. Um, you mentioned uh, homeschooling your children. Um, how do you balance homeschool with like the social element? with them uh, maybe having friends or, uh, you know, connecting outside the house with people. Right. Yeah. So they have, they have a, we have a, a big family on my wife's side. So they have a lot of cousins. So they get that interaction from there. Uh, but also the fact that they're in travel soccer, they have a group of kids that they, they they're pretty much going to be growing up with, you know, just like school, you have classmates, you're going to see the same classmates, you know, until you graduate. Same thing with travel soccer. As long as they stay in the same program, you're going to see them, you know, all year, all year round, actually more than school. So, you know, practice through games and everything. And also if they decide to, you know, go to each other's houses and stuff like that, then that's how they interact as well too. So they're getting that social interaction with their, their teammates as well. So I figure that it's a little bit more controlled. They'll get all that the stuff that they'll learn in school with like, you know, being able to, to riff around, you know, with their friends and stuff like that, and, you know, play the dozens and stuff like that with their friends. They'll get that from their soccer teammates, but it's going to be less of, you know, the, the unwanted 
things that come along with it, like the, the bullying that may happen, the unnecessary you know, treatment, uh, unfair treatment that they may get. It's minus that because they're, they're all on the same team. They're working towards the same goal. So they know and the coach knows it's no, it's no point to be on the same team and, and be fighting amongst each other. So you need to cut that, you know, that stuff out. So it's all about you know, progressing together and growing together, you know, as a team. And they'll get that social interaction, you know, kind of that, that way. But other things, like we're going to get them involved in even more stuff outside because now my two daughters – they're showing a lot of interest in singing and dancing, so we'll probably get them into actual like, voice lessons and voice coaching and everything, and maybe even a dance group and stuff like that when we have the time for that. So they'll they'll get it, you know, here and there. They'll be able to socially interact and pick up more more friends along the way. But you know, as an adult, you know that you really don't your your circle doesn't really grow, you know, as you become an adult. Like your main circle, it doesn't grow. Like it, it stays about the same size, or it may even get smaller. It's like you know, out of high school, all the people that I affiliated with, like really, my circle is like maybe six at most. Like that, we really we get together, we go out, you know, we might eat, drink, and stuff like that. You know, we chop it up with each other and just have you know meaningful you know stuff where we share you know stock trade information, all that stuff, or whatever. talk about old people's stuff or whatever, and talk about kids now and stuff. But, you know, everything else, you know, like I said, you'll, you'll have your core group of friends that you can always rely on. And once they figure that out, those will be probably the ones that you, that you stick with anyway. So it ain't, it ain't like we're, we're having them need to look for all these friends and hope that some stick. Don't matter the ones that you really like attracts to like, and then you'll stick, you know, with that, you know, through through the years if it's supposed to be. Yeah. All right, man. So we're gonna we're gonna get ready to wrap it, but um, could you let everybody know about your business again and like uh, how they can get in contact with you? Okay. Yeah. So again, it's it's a hospice agency. So what hospice is? Hospice deals with the end of life stage of treatment. So really. I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with it, but they have a, the wrong idea of what the treatment actually entails. So a lot of people think of hospice as someone's sick and they're about to die immediately. That doesn't have to be the case. Yes, there are you know, uh, you know, cases where that's involved where they're about to pass within you know, hours or maybe a day or two, but ultimately hospice can start really if you are expected to have six months or less of, you know, a, a, a terminal illness and a, a, a diagnosis from a doctor. So it can be something where there's someone who's going through congestive heart failure, where they're still able to walk around and still do daily activities, but they've been on the decline for the greater part of a year. And now the doctor says that, you know, your, your progression is declining even faster. You know, your blood pressure is dropping dramatically we figure that maybe, you know, you might pass away within three months. You can start at a six-month period and get under hospice care where we're providing the medications that you need, you know, just to make sure that you're in, in comfort, you know, while anything is coming up. Hospice care is all about the quality of life as you decline, you know, until you pass away or make the transition. So we're making sure that you're as comfortable as you can be, you know, until, you know, that time comes. 
So we provide you with all the medications. We provide you with all any supplies that you may need, uh, any uh, medical equipment, if you need oxygen tanks, nebulizers, things like that, um, CPO or COPD machines, um, you know, bedding, things like that. All that's provided through hospice. Now, if you have Medicare uh, or also Medicaid, those are the major providers of it. Medicare will cover a lot of that cost. So if we're dealing with, you know, the elderly people, a lot of them have Medicare. So Medicare covers, you know, 100% of those costs related to hospice. And people think that, you know, they come out of pocket. That's not true. Only if you want you wanted something that's not hospice related. So like if you wanted um, meal, meal plan services uh, in addition to hospice services, you know, you can have a meal plan provider, but then you would have to pay for that because that's not hospice related. So yeah. the point that we want to do is we want to come in and try to educate a lot of people on what hospice actually entails and have people know that a lot of people are eligible for it for a longer term that they don't even know that they are. So instead of waiting until the, the final days, it can start, you know, as much as six months prior. And then, you know, we can be taking care of you. And as things progress, we can control the environment, have you prepared so you're not struggling. And it also includes us taking care of things like the funeral arrangements, getting in contact with the funeral home, setting everything up with that. We have social workers that can work with the family. We have chaplains that deal with grief and bereavement and everything like that. There's a whole line of full service that comes along with hospice. It's not just having a patient die and that's it. So with patients or anybody who's thinking about hospice or want to have more information about it, they can go to our website. It's www.pearlhospice.com. So Pearl, as in the jewels, pearls, P-E-A-R-L, hospice.com. Uh, we have a Facebook page. So if you go to Facebook slash Pearl Hospice, you can find our Facebook page. We're located on Twitter as well, too. Pearl Hospice, Instagram, we have that as well, too. So all the major sites, we have a, a, um, a presence on there. You can give us a call. You can email us at info at pearlhospice.com. Or you can go to our website and there's an inquiry page if you go to contact us where you can just submit inquiries and ask us questions and just ask any questions that you have. And there's a lot of information that's provided there uh, where you can read up and understand exactly how hospice is covered, um, who's eligible for hospice. It's, information is the, is the most critical thing and knowing that, you know, there's a lot of people that are eligible for it that aren't getting the care that they need. And just to know that I want to focus on the, the black community as well, because that's, that's my market that I really want to go after because they're underserved. Because so many of us, I know that we're skeptical of healthcare in general, and so many of us are just uninformed of having a grandma, grandmother, you know, that's, you know, bedridden, and, you know, she's suffering from lung cancer or something along those lines, or any of those other ailments that she could be getting hospice care where, you know, you're thinking that you have to pay for her medications or you can't afford her medications because you have to come out of pocket for the co-pays. Hospice can cover those medications that are related to her lung cancer diagnosis, you know, and she's declining. Just, we want to be able to educate everybody and have them know that they can receive this care that they should be receiving. Cool, cool. All right, well, thank you, Marcus, man. I, I appreciate you coming on and, and no interviewing with us. No problem. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Royce. I appreciate it. And uh, help any way I can because, you know, I, I love the fact that, you know, anytime that we, you know, are trying to do our own thing and we're trying to get something up for ourselves where we can build 
a legacy for ourselves, I'm all for that. I'm all for promoting it. And, you know, I wear my WTF shirt, you know, <laughs> I got that all the time on, wear as undershirts and stuff like that. So people see that. I, I wear these hoodies a lot. I'm in the house right now, so I'm, you know, I, I ain't out in front of nobody. But anytime that I have a chance to promote stuff, you know, I'm out there promoting stuff for, you know, our own and everything. So I'm all about us getting our, our stuff off the ground and, and, and building something for, our, for ourselves and for our, our family, for our legacy and for, for people that are like us as well, too. Appreciate you, man. Appreciate yeah, you. Appreciate you, Marcus. Yeah. 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 Right, yeah, go ahead, bro. Nah, I was just gonna say, man, uh that better gonna wrap it up, man. Thanks for, for listening. Okay. Stay tuned for further announcements. Yep. And uh, Marcus, yeah, uh, thanks again, brother, for uh, you know, your uh, your insights on, on uh, your experiences, man. It meant a lot to us, man. No problem. No problem. Anytime. <laughs> thanks. Peace. Yes, yes. Thank you for listening to WTF Interviews. If you want to get in contact with us, you can reach us via our website, WTFatherhood.org. Also, our Facebook page and our Facebook group will be listed in the description below as well. Uh, I ask you to leave a a review as it helps more people receive the message. And uh, again, until next time, be well. You already are.